0: What I would like for you to do is turn to Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to primarily be there today. Um, Since we have a lot of you guys are brand new today, I'm going to give a very brief review uh, because we are doing this series on the doctrines of grace. And the idea of this is that one, we would clearly understand the faithful gospel of salvation in Christ alone. But that beyond that, we would have clear understandings of grace as it relates to the gospel so that we will, one, give glory to God for salvation as he deserves, that we will, two, be encouraged and edified in our salvation, and third, that we would effectively proclaim the gospel to the lost for the sake of God's kingdom coming. All right? When we proclaim the gospel, uh, you will note that we tend to share it in four points um, because we like to give kind of an overview of scripture. We call it the grand narrative narrative. And we talk about creation, fall, redemption, and restoration. Uh, the gospel is the redemption part, but I've noticed that if you just tell somebody like, hey, Jesus died for you, if I haven't explained why, that doesn't, it doesn't quite connect for them. And so we like to mention that, hey, God created everything and everyone. He created humans in his image, and he created us so that we would be able to have fellowship with God and glorify him. Uh, thus, we are responsible to him because we are his creation. But humans, the first humans, sinned and separated themselves from God. We call this the fall. Not to mention that, but Romans 3.23 says, all of us have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. So that puts us in a terrible situation because the wages of sin is death, which includes eternal punishment. The idea that the wrath of God against sin is poured out on sinners for eternity. You do not want that. And unfortunately... You cannot, on your own, earn your salvation back to God. You can never be good enough. You can never do enough good works. You cannot be righteous enough. You have offended a holy God. And so, there had to be a miracle. And this is where the gospel comes in. The gospel is the redemption part. That Jesus, fully God and fully man, came to this earth, lived a perfect life. He imputed, this is the theological word, he gave us his righteousness. We call this imputation. Our sin was put on him, also imputation. So when he died on the cross, the wrath of God was poured out on him. He paid the penalty for our sin and gave us his righteousness. And then he rose from the dead to give us new life. Resurrection and atonement right there. That's the gospel. When we talk about the gospel. And so then if you repent and believe this good news... You are a new creation in Christ, and he is bringing about his redemption in this world. He is king now, and he is fully consummating his kingdom on this earth, eventually new creation. And so you'll hear us talk about creation, fall, redemption, and restoration, or new creation. This is what we're talking about. So the gospel then, when somebody says, what is the gospel? We say the gospel is that Jesus died to pay your sin debt and rose from the dead to give you new life. The gospel is not that God loves you it predicates the gospel, but that's not the gospel. The gospel is not that God has a plan for your life. He does. Um, We're reformed. We believe that God has a sovereign plan. That's not the gospel. It's built in, but the gospel is that Jesus died, to pay your sin debt, and rose to give you new life. That is the gospel. The gospel is not racial reconciliation. It can be an effect of the gospel, by the way, based on Galatians 3, but it is not the gospel. The gospel is not social causes or social justice or anything like that. The gospel is that Jesus died to pay your sin debt and then he rose from the dead to give you new life. We have to be clear on that. Are we clear on that? Good. All right. If not, you're going to hear the gospel like three times today, uh, maybe four. All right. So in review, so I'm, I'm doing this a little bit of review here. I know you've already turned to Ephesians 2. You're like, Dan, when are you going to actually get into scripture? But I'm trying to catch you all up on this. So what we've been doing and going through the doctrines of grace is going point by point Uh, to give you an understanding from different angles so you get a clarity on how all this works together. The first thing we talked about was the fallenness of mankind. Um, How man is sinned. We've separated ourselves from God and we are bent towards that sin. We're going to talk about this more later. The idea is a miracle has to happen for you to believe in Christ because you hate God until he has done a work in you. Some of you are like, wait, I don't remember hating God. We can talk about that, but more on that later. You did. You might not have realized it, but you did. Second, We talked about unmerited adoption. There is an error going around right now that somehow God saves you because of potential. Like as if God looked at you and said, look, oh, you know what? That one's going to make a great Christian. And so we're going to save that one. It's error. You could argue in some, you might even call it heresy. God didn't choose you for salvation. He didn't save you because he saw potential in you. He didn't save you because of some merit you had. He just said, that one's going to be my kid. And just as uh, my brother and his wife are in the process of trying to adopt, they just said, we want these kids. And because they knew that those kids needed them, not because this one's going to be a good football player, or this one's going to be a great mathematician, none of that. It's because of something in them that they're adopting, not because of something in the kid. So it is, when God saves us, Oh, hold still. Um, when God saves us, it's totally because of him. You did not merit it in any way. Clarity on that. The third thing we talked about, and these were each sermons, you can go back, um, I think one of them we forgot to record. Um, But most of these you can go back on the website and listen to. The third one we talked about particular atonement. The idea there is that this is not universalism. Um, Just because Jesus died for the sins of the world does not mean that he actually made payment for everyone in the world. That would be universalism. We do not believe in universalism. We believe that Jesus died for all the believing. That he made payment... We call it atonement means payment, that he made payment for all who would believe, for the elect. This is what he did. So this, this means I better proclaim the gospel, right? Because he hasn't automatically saved everybody. I better get the gospel out there so that all of the elect can come to believing faith in Christ. So that's all of our review. I know it was a long one, but I'm going to preach really fast. All right. Um, so we're going to talk today about regeneration. Regeneration. Now, remember, in Ephesians 2 um, is what we're going to be getting into. We're going to talk about being dead in trespasses and sins. You may remember when we studied the fallenness of man, we talked about in Romans 1, it says no one seeks after God. And as we'll see in Ephesians 2, it says that you're dead in your sins. And so, as we'll see, this makes this really important thing called regeneration all the more important. So, beginning uh, in verse 1 of Ephesians 2, let's read. It says, "...and you were dead." In the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. This is describing what it is to be dead in sin. I like to always point out, the language here is dead. Your spirit is dead like a dead body is dead. Yes, you were physically alive. You had a mind. You had a soul. But your spirit was dead. And notice the language here is that you functioned like a dead person. It says, um, it says following the course of this world, It uses, it's almost like referring to like you were a, spiritually, you were a dead body on a putrid river. And you were just going along with the current of this world wicked world of sin the idea of going along with the world that like i'm I'm following the course of the world is whatever the world says is good whatever the world says is normal i'm going along with that that's what happens when you're dead in sin because your spirit can't resist the flow of this wicked culture you just go along with it that's one part of being dead in sin this is following the prince of the power of the air that is a reference to Satan, um, the spirit that is now at work in the son's obedience, among whom we once lived. And he's pointing out, like, we were all one of those guys. He's using past tense, but we we were all that. This is among whom you once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath. Notice here, then, the two things that are happening is, one, when you're dead in sin, you float along with the culture and whatever they think is right, whatever the world thinks is okay. Two... You follow only what you want in your flesh. You are motivated by your sin when you're dead in sin. You are motivated by the flesh, and that's what you do. And so I don't have to go much further. We're going to go in a little bit more detail here. But hopefully there are those among us, hopefully all of us can look, maybe when we got saved really young, we might not remember all this, but hopefully we can look and say, like, I remember when my life was like that. I remember when I used to just go along with whatever seemed right and whatever I wanted to do. And by the way, if your motivation is those things right now, you should be concerned. If you are living for your own fleshly desires or you are going along with whatever is normal in the world, there is a good chance you're not redeemed. And so I'm I'm bringing this up because I see many among what might be called the progressive Christian movement, which is actually regressive, Um, where they will say things like, oh, but you know, transgender people are blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, you are going along with what is popular in the world. That is not what God teaches. And so what you're doing is following the course of the world. Simple as that. Um, When somebody's affirming gay marriage or 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 is heaven forbid saying that the state has authority over the church and whether or not they should be open. You're going along with the world and what they think is right. Don't do that. If you have been doing that, repent. But if you continue in that, you should be concerned as to whether or not you are God's child. It's one thing we're like, oh, I didn't realize that I was an error there. And you get corrected from Scripture. Praise the Lord. Repentance and faith. But the person who continually goes on with all that, you, you're dead in your sin. I mean, that's just the reality. You can't keep doing that. Now, we can say we fall in, we sin, we struggle. I understand. It's another thing when we just simply go along with whatever seems normal in the world and we follow only our own passions and pursuits. you with me? Making sense? That is what it means to be dead in sin. We're going to go into more detail on that later, but that's what's here in Ephesians 2 on it. Notice verse 4. It says, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. I want to this is, by the way, this is the same thing Jesus talks about to Nicodemus. That he says, you must be born again. You must be made spiritually alive. And Paul is saying to the Ephesians, this happened to you. Those believing Ephesians. But I want to point out, when he begins verse 4 here, he doesn't say, but because, of that you, because you were better than all those other dead ones, you chose Christ. It doesn't say that. It doesn't say because, uh, because you were a really good decision maker, you 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 turn things around. What it says is, but God being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses and sins, made us alive in Christ Jesus. The language here is that God made us alive because of who he is, because of his mercy and his love and his grace. Making sense? I I, I was dead. I could not save myself. God did the work because of his mercy, love and grace. He made us alive together with Christ Jesus. Reading on it says, "And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus." That is a huge statement worthy of all kinds of exegesis. We could talk for a long time. I don't have time to address it fully here because we're we're trying to address the issue of regeneration specifically, but that's really good news, brothers and sisters. Like the idea that like I'm seated as a co-heir with Christ, it's huge. It's absolutely huge. We'll talk about that more another time. I, I got lots I got to cover today. Um, so it says so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of His grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. You notice something? That he's the one, because of who he is, that did the work to save us, to make us alive in Christ. He regenerated us because of his mercy, grace, and love. And then it gives us the purpose here in verse 7. It says, so that in the coming ages he might show his immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. He saved us because of who he is so that he could show who he is. The whole point of all of this is that God receives glory for saving you. Right? This is huge. That your salvation is not even completely about you. In fact, arguably, it's not really about you. You get the benefit of it because God says, I want you. You're going to be my kid. I'm I'm saving you. I'm paying for everything. But then the result of that is we say, look at what a mighty, gracious, merciful, loving, grace-filled God we serve. The whole point is that he gets glory. Everybody with me on this? Cool. I'm preaching faster than I thought I was, so we're we're ahead. We might get done by noon. Um, and I, I'll always point out, by the way, like if I was a Puritan, and I'm I might just be one someday, I'm striving for that, but if I was a Puritan, we'd be here for like two hours of preaching anyway. Hey, buddy. All right. So verses eight, it's verse eight through ten, it says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared before him that we should walk in them. Reiterating again that this is totally by grace, through faith, totally his work that he has done. And notice then, following that, after he's made all this effort to give clarity that like, you didn't do this, was all God's work. Then he says, we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. So notice, whereas when I was dead in my sin, I followed the passions of the flesh, I followed my own sinful desires, and just the state of the world, I was just going with the flow of the putrid river of death. Right? I don't know what else to call it. But now, because I'm in Christ by his work, he has foreordained works for me to do that because I am in Christ, I am able to do with him in me. Uh, if you guys have heard the song, I think it's City of Light that sings, Yet not I, but Christ in me. And it lists all these things that the believer does. And it says, yet not I, but Christ in me. This is, this is the idea. That, like, I'm created in Christ Jesus for these good works. He is in me, allowing me to do these good works that I wouldn't otherwise be able to do. So this tells you something. That just because you are saved by grace through faith does not mean that you continue on as if you were dead. There should be a change. right? When a baby is born, there's a new life there. When a dead man's spirit is resurrected, everything changes. So, that moment of change is what we call regeneration. It simply means to make alive, to be born again. Um, It it gives this idea of new life, right? A little side note, Now, you guys recognize I'm Reformed. We're Reformed, as a church we're Reformed. It means God planned all this. So I want to point out, regeneration was not something that God just made up later on. He wasn't like, oh man, they can't obey me. What are we going to do? <laughs> like, this is not how God functions. In fact, he promises this in prophecy. I want to point out Ezekiel 36, 26. Old Testament, by the way. is prophecy. It says, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. You hear that? The idea is you had a rock heart that could not respond positively to God. You were full of hatred and everything that God hates. And God said, I'm, I am taking that heart out and I'm giving you a real beating heart of flesh and blood so that you can believe in me and so you can follow me. I'm going to put my spirit in you. The idea, here, this is regeneration being promised in Ezekiel. And some of you, I'm thinking of some who I know and I've heard your testimony and you can point to like, I remember the day God took out my rock heart and gave me a real heart. Cool, reading on. So Hebrews, Hebrews 8, similarly, New Testament quotes from Jeremiah 31, 33, and 34. It says, For this is the covenant that I shall make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Notice the language here is that whereas the law was once an external thing, that God said, here's all the things you're supposed to do. He's saying, I'm going to put my law inside of you by my spirit so that you can obey me because it's coming from the inside. God is at work from within you. This is all hinting at regeneration. So similarly, we see in John 3:3, Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. You cannot function in the kingdom of God without being born again. Titus 3.5 says, He saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and the new and the renewal of the Holy Spirit. First Peter 1 Peter 1.23 likewise says, Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. He following in all of this, brothers and sisters, this regeneration work was not something that God pulled out of nowhere. It's been part of his plan. It's central to the gospel that Jesus, by God's Holy Spirit, makes you alive. A few key points on this. First of all, regeneration is God's work, not ours. Um, I, there's no way, I'm just the reality is like, this is reformed doctrine. Um, it is at times uncomfortable, but this is what the word of God teaches. Um, We call this monergism as opposed to synergism. It means that there was one worker in your salvation and that was God. Um, You didn't like call up God and say like, hey, how about making me alive today? Um, how How about I meet you halfway and crawl my corpse out of this river of death? No, like God just did it. We call it monergism. It's totally him. All right. Second, regeneration is immediately efficacious, bringing about repentance and faith. Once you are made alive, you repent and believe right away. And so some of you are like, man, I, I, I remember this. Like I, like, I used to hate God. I was totally like, you. Talk, it's easier when you're talking about a guy who used to be an atheist. I mean, and he's, he's talking about like, and now one day I just believed. Um, there's a book called The Doctrine of Balaam by, um, oh, I forget the guy's name. Somebody, Callie, last name Callie. Um, this dude hated God had like like demonic face tattoos and whatever. He's actually a Reformed theologian now. Um, interesting guy. But he talks about like, I hated God and then like, God got a hold of me and I believed. And it's interesting because he still looks really scary. He has like weird like dimpled like horn-like things like underneath his, his, it's really wild and I'm like, you're scary but like you're probably more Reformed than I am. Anyway, that language of like, it immediately results in repentance and faith. When God makes you alive, you believe. Third, this regeneration begins a life of obedience to Christ. Notice that in Ephesians 2, we saw this, this dichotomy between here's what the lifestyle of the dead were, and here's what the lifestyle of the alive were. We're going to go into very briefly into that, um, but we're going to have to very quickly give you a little, what we call, ordo salutis. Um, I'm, t- I'm actually bringing Latin into this today, and I'm not doing it just because we have new people here. <laughs> I promise. Um So we know, and I'm going to not go into great detail on this because of time, but hopefully you guys got this email with this in here. The point of this is to show, first of all, that God planned all this from the beginning. But you'll kind of note right in the middle of this thing, we have like this point, this circle, where it talks about regeneration, justification, adoption, and conversion, which is when you repent and believe. The idea is at this moment... All of these things seem to happen, like, either in quick succession or at the same moment. That at salvation, everything changes, brothers and sisters. At the moment of regeneration, you move from death to life. You believe, you're justified, you're adopted, you, you've repented. It all happens right there at Regeneration. And I'm bringing this up to say the whole point is all this is happening right there, and now everything is new. You'll notice right after that, we have sanctification and perseverance leading up to glorification when God brings us home. Right? We don't have to go into great detail about that. The point, um, because of, you know, there's just way too much to unpack there. That's a whole, like, that's, if you want to join into Underground Seminary, we go into great detail in this stuff. Um, Not enough time here. What I want to point out is that you have your unbelieving life and your new life. And the two should be very distinct and clear. Notice what we see when we talk about a non-believer. A non-believer denies sinning. A non-believer will go on trying to excuse sin or pretend it's not sin or pretend that God is not there to be offended. Note the contrast is a believer, it's not that he never sins or she never sins. It's that in 1 John it talks about we're not lying about sinning anymore. Now we confess our sins and he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. Hopefully we're growing in righteousness and we're sinning less. In fact, later on we see that we're not continuing to practice sin in 1 John 3, whereas the sinner makes a practice of sinning. I would encourage you, take the notes, go through these, have a look. Can you look at the old life and be able to say, that used to be me, I used to hate God, I used to deny Christ, I used to defy God and his commandments, I worshipped the self and the creation. And contrast that with life now, hopefully, where you worship the Creator and all who He is. You do not make a practice of sinning, but you repent when you sin. You continue to grow in the Lord. You are sealed by the Holy Spirit. You are bearing spiritual fruit. You are loving being with the saints, even though they annoy you at times, right? You love the saints because you are one of them, right? These are the marks of a true believer who has been regenerate. If you don't have them, you might not be in. And if you do have them, even imperfectly, praise God, you're in. And it doesn't matter how bad your life was before, doesn't matter what you have done, how much you hated God, how much murder and gossip and whatever else you engaged in, you are a new creation in Christ if you have been redeemed and you repented and believed. All right, so all that said, closing out, I want to have a quick look at 1 John 3. And I promise it's not very long. It's 12.02 and I try to end at noon. You've got like three minutes with me still. You think you can handle it? Good. You guys are on your way to being Puritans. Praise God. First John chapter 3 says, See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called the children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Beloved, we are God's children. And what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. That was that glorification thing there. That there will come a day when you are perfect and sinless. Hopefully I've been clear. In the new life, you are growing and sanctifying. We do not believe in sinless perfectionism in this life. Um, that is an erroneous doctrine, Uh, you still have a sin nature and you will continue to have to repent and believe as you are sanctified over time. You might sin a lot less. Praise, hopefully, you sin a lot less. But you will come to a time in glorification where you don't sin anymore because you are in the presence of Christ. Anyway, that's what 1 John 3 is describing here. It says, And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Notice it says, I'm not going to be like him yet, and yet now I am seeking to purify myself. Right? I seek to grow. I seek to kill sin in my life. Is everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. By the way, a little side note, this means God is king. Jesus is king. He is the perfect law giver. When I sin, I am breaking God's law. And as such, I incur judgment. So if I am his child, if I'm a subject of his kingdom, I am trying to put away sin because I'm a part of the king's kingdom. And I want to continue in this sin. Reading on, it says, You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. This is an idea of continuation, by the way. It doesn't mean if the next time you sin that you're no longer a believer. Be clarified. You're probably going to sin before we leave here today. So, <laughs> praise God for his grace. I'll probably sin before we leave here, even though I'm going to endeavor not to. Says, no one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. You understand what this means? If you are continuing in unrepentant sin, you are not in. This is all the more important to teach this now because we have so many who think they're in and they're continuing in sin. They're going on with the, the, the ways of the world. They're going on in their passions and sinful desires and they think they're okay. Don't let it happen. Just this week, I'm I'm talking to a brother in Christ who has somebody attending his church who has been living in sin. It's a boyfriend and girlfriend living together. And and he's like, I confronted them. And she's like, well, my faith is completely shattered. I I always thought I was fine. Why wouldn't God tell me this? And he's like, when I opened God's word and I showed you that this was sin, that was God telling you, right? And Praise God. Plenty have been in this place. We repented and believed. Praise God don't think you can keep sinning unrepentantly and be okay. I'm serious about this, brothers and sisters. You can't go on in unrepentant gossip and think you're okay. You can't go on in unrepentant lust, pornography, drunkenness, whatever you want to say. You can't go on with bitterness and hatred in your heart and say that you are God's child because you're still functioning like a dead person, which means you're probably still dead in sin repent and believe brothers and sisters well repent and believe those who are not brothers and sisters just to be clear reading on oh sorry man i heard paul washer speak a couple of nights ago it's probably rubbed off on me first john three says little children let no one deceive you whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil for the devil has been sinning from the beginning the reason the son of god appeared was to destroy the works of the devil you hear that Jesus shows up to destroy the enemy's works. Don't go on building up Satan's works when you were supposed to be serving the king who destroyed them. Anyway, verse 9 says, No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning, because he has been born of God. You get that? I can't keep on, like, it's just gross to me. doesn't mean you never sin, but it's like, when you realize I'm God's child, and I don't want to disappoint my dad, I don't want to disappoint the king of, who, who paid this awful price for me. I don't want to, I don't want to go on sinning. I can't. It's, it's putrid. Yes, sin is desirable, but not as sin. Right? Like, it's, it's, it's like you sin and you're like, God, oh, I did it again. Oh, Lord, forgive me. What's wrong with me? Thank you for your grace. That's the lifestyle of a believer. Reading on. It says, uh, Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God. Nor is the one who does not love his brother, for this is the message that you have heard from the beginning that we should love one another. Brothers and sisters, um, my goal in proclaiming this message is twofold. One is that those of you who are believers would be able to look at your life and say, Praise God, I'm redeemed. Like, I don't hate God, I love his people. They're imperfect, I'm imperfect, I'm continuing in repentance and faith, and hopefully you look at your life and you're like, praise God, I'm saved. This is, And you're able to give him glory for your salvation. That, that's the whole point of me pointing out this whole regeneration thing. The other point is that if there are those among us that, that this doesn't describe you, that you can be able to say like, I'm in, I need to make, I need to make a change. I need to repent and believe, right? You've already heard the gospel once. Brian's going to deliver it in just a second. You will have the chance to respond. We don't do altar calls right there in your seat. Repent and believe the gospel is what I would say. All right. There is, I would argue, a third reason why I brought this up. And that is because we have been trained as Christians to be far too nice and that somehow not rocking the boat is considered godliness. It is not a gracious and loving thing if you allow a person who thinks they're a believer to go on in the course of this world following their sinful desires and passions and just pretending like, well, good luck, buddy. At least you prayed that sinner's prayer when you were five. You are letting them float down a river that ends in a lake of fire. Don't do that. If You know, I mean, you can see we, we had the whole chart. Man, I stinking made a chart, you guys. I had a whole chart where you can look and say, this is what a dead man looks like. This is what an alive man looks like. If your friends look like the dead man, don't let them keep on in that life. Proclaim the gospel to them lovingly, gently, but firmly. Let them know, man, you can't go on like this. And I would say that, of course, goes for the ones who already know they're not believers. Bring the gospel to them as well. But just tell you, like, we got a whole lot of people that think they're just fine. I don't want to say in this church. Hopefully, I mean, chances are there's somebody. Right, I'm not making an accusation. I'm just recognizing that, My brothers and sisters, proclaim the gospel, that they would repent and believe, because the whole point of this is for God's kingdom to come and for His kingdom to be built. So, all that said, uh, Brian, you are up, brother. Yep. Um And then could I get a couple of the kids to go and grab our communion elements? They, they can stay here. We're going to go grab it. And then just be here. To, Perfect. Um, Wonderful. Can, can you real quick for yes. How would they get those from you? Um, so give me your email address, okay. and I will send them out. i happy to do that because, yeah, um, it's good to have sermon notes. All right. Thank you all very much. Brian, take it away, Brian.